Well, good morning. Good morning. Oh, that's a hearty good morning. Appreciate that. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful day out there. A good, good day to be uh, here together serving the Lord. Amen. And singing to Him. What a great thing uh, to do. Is, uh, if you turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, we're back into uh, uh, our, to our series in Revelation. Let me ask you this. Would you say that the world around us is pretty divided? I don't know about you, but it seems to me like, like in every aspect of life, now there seems to be two sides forming and they hate each other, right? And you see this going on all around us. It's in, and you see this, whether it's uh, Democrats and Republicans, or uh, uh, which is sickening to watch sometimes, isn't it? Uh, and re regardless of what side you're on, how about the religious versus the secular? Boy, you know, this, this week, just hearing on NPR some of the accusations about how all the ails of the world are the fault of Christians, right? That, I mean, and it blows my mind. You've got the, uh, the, the two sides against each other. Well, Islam versus Christianity, right? And, and, and in fact, uh, I, I saw this uh, this week um, right here. This is a picture of all of the churches. According to the, the meme, it says churches destroyed in France over the last four years. I did uh, do some fact checking, and not all of them were destroyed. Some of them were just badly damaged and temporarily destroyed. But look at that. That's just in France right now. This is, I mean, there's a worldwide concentrated effort on the Muslims against the Christians and the, and the churches. And you can imagine what it's like all around the world or, or um, different political entities against each other. Right now, it seems to be in our country, and right now it's pro-life versus pro-choice. That seems to be one of the big issues. And, and we've seen this uh, from, for, the, for the last decade so, so strongly. Even men versus women, right? The, they call, what do they call those? The, the gender wars, right? And, and you've got all of these things going on. And, uh, and today, I'm going to suggest to you that all of these things are mere symptoms of an even deeper issue. And that there is a greater war going on. And these are just surface issues that come out of that greater war that's going on behind the scenes. So... We're going to take a look behind the curtain today. Does that sound all right? So we'll be in Revelation chapter 12. Um, just a little review from, from where we've been up to this point. Uh, we've gone up through chapter 11. So chapters 1 through 11, and we've seen how the wrath of God is going to be portrayed in seven seals. And when you get through the seventh seal, you find out that that seventh seal gets expanded and it becomes uh, the seven trumpets. We've made it through the seven trumpets, and last week we began the last trumpet, which puts us right there. That's where we've gotten so far, right? Chapter 12, we change gears for a little bit. In chapters 12 through 15, we, we, we begin to see a big picture. And it's like there's a pause in what's going on in the book of Revelation. Chronologically, he just kind of steps back, zooms out, and says, I want you to see the big picture of what's going on because you, you have to understand the events that are about to unfold in the context of, of the entire world history. In fact, some of what he's about to go into takes us even before world history and to give us the entire context of what's going on behind the scenes. I would liken this to, uh, for those who have read The Hobbit, how many of you have read The Hobbit? Wow, we're about half of you. And or if, how many of you have seen the movie or read The Hobbit? So, yeah, even more. Um, in, in, the, in The Hobbit, Bilbo is supposed to go through this very thick forest, right? And it's very easy to get lost in there. And he takes with him a group of, uh, of uh, I was going to say elves, dwarves, sorry. Not to offend the Lord of the Rings fans, I don't, they're out there. And uh, so they get lost and they start to, they get, they get so lost in this, in this uh, 
forest that they start realizing that they've been walking in circles. And so the idea was for Bilbo to climb up to the high point of the tree and get a chance to look at everything and see the beginning, see the end, see the whole thing, kind of get their bearings back. Are you following me? This is what John's doing for us right now. And, and, and so the, the, the book of Revelation now is going to take us from chapter 12 to 15, zoom out and, and let us just see the big picture because we need to understand where this seventh trumpet, what that means in light of not just human history, but all of history. And so when we pick back up in chapter 16 through 20, 22, we're going to pick up right where we left off, but focusing then on the, the seventh trumpet, which will become seven bowls. So starting right now, we're going to get a glimpse behind the curtain revealing what has been going on behind the scenes for all of human history for a few chapters here. And we're going to see how all of this and heaven and on earth have led to this crucial point in history. So with that, let's turn to Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Well, even before we get too far into this, we see this mega sign. That's literally what it is in, in, in Greek. It says, we see this, this great sign, this mega sign. And we see this woman who, who is clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and a head of garland of, with, uh, with 12 stars. So we see this great sign in the sky. By the way, when, when we see that it says there's a great sign, and that means that there's a mixture here of, of something that's literal and something that's symbolic, right? That's the nature of a sign. So he's going to see something in the heavens, something that's going to be symbolic of events that have taken place here on earth. But the first, inter the first person in this is the woman. And so we have to ask ourselves, who is the woman? I'm going to give you the answer and then explain why I believe it first. But I believe that by the description and in the, in the context, the identi identity of the woman is pretty clear, and I believe that it is Israel. That the woman is Israel in this. And uh, the description, I believe, comes straight out of Genesis 37. You can keep a finger in uh, Revelation 12, but in Genesis 37, um, what we read is this. And my clicker just stopped working. I brought, a, I brought a spare, so let's go with that one. Did that one work? Neither clicker is working. Can you take us forward? <laughs> okay, oh, it went, it went too far there. Okay, in uh, Genesis 37, 9, we read this. Then he dreamed, still another dream, and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Remember the, remember the story of Joseph? And Joseph was having this vision about the future of the people of Israel. And, and in this, and if you go into context, the idea of, of that the sun and the moon, it, it was the relationship between God and his special people, and then the 11 stars bowed down to him. So in the, con in, in the context, each star represented one of his brothers who became one of the tribal leaders of the people of Israel. They say, why is there 12 in, in, in uh, Revelation and 11 in Genesis? Because he was, the, he was the 12th star, right? So he was the, the 12th one. So I believe that this garland of, of 12 stars that, that's mentioned in our text today equals the 12 tribes of Israel, Joseph and his brothers. There's more evidence of this even as we go along in the, in the text. But let's continue on in verse 2 of Revelation 12. 
Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So this woman that John saw was pregnant and about to give birth. By the way, this is further evidence that this is talking about the people of Israel because six times in Scripture, six times in the Old Testament, the Bible uses the analogy of Israel being a woman in labor. Right? So six times. In fact, it'd be a fun study. Uh, if you enjoy studying, uh, check out. I put it in the notes. Uh, you can go check out all of those on, on your own time. But further evidence that the woman is a symbol for Israel because Israel is compared to a woman in labor multiple times. But here we're introduced now to the second, really the second character that is introduced in this verse, the child. But we'll get to who that child is later, okay? So trust me, we will get back to that. But let's get to verse 3 and see what else we see in this great sign. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. So now we've got this, this character, this dragon. Who is this dragon? And by the word, the word, uh, the word dragon here is used uh, 12 times in Scripture, and in every case, it always refers to Satan. So Satan is this great red, fiery red dragon. By the way, this is consistent from Genesis to Revelation as a description of, of, uh, of Satan. In fact, in Genesis 3, do you remember what he was called? He was called the serpent right, in Genesis 3. He was called the serpent. Uh, and so we have to understand that most artists' depiction of Satan, right, if you... If you look at any, any kind of pictures or paintings or anything like that, when you, when you look at Genesis 3, it, it usually looks something like this, right? How many have seen something like that? Right? Um, this idea that it's just a snake and, and, uh, and it's always an apple for some reason. I don't know. The Bible never mentions that it was an apple. Um, but most say that it was a, a snake of some sort. But I would say that those artists, before putting their, their brush to canvas, probably should have constructed or you know, consulted the Bible because... The Bible says he was a serpent. In fact, this would be a little bit more of an accurate description of Satan than, than what we find in most of, of uh, the, the, the fairy tale versions of, of Genesis. He's not a boa constrictor. In fact, I would, in fact, I would say that based on the description of cherubs in the Bible, which the Bible says that Satan was originally created as a cherub, based on that description, when he was cursed to the ground in Genesis 3, probably had more to do with losing his wings than losing his legs. I'll put that in our brains like that. Just how many of you? Oh, there goes that one. Yeah, so see if this one works. Okay, this one's still working, right? So, uh, um, so you you know you were to to realize. Thank you. <laughs> I can do that, but what a good guy. Let's give him a hand. So, <laughs> and so I, I think it's important for us. It's just a reminder for us that that oftentimes we get this imagery that, that of what things are like, and when we actually get to the Bible, sometimes the, what the Bible says about them are completely different, right? And so this, so this idea is very different than our typical version of, of blonde men with dove wings as angels, right? How many of you thought that's what, you don't have to say, but how many of you thought that's what angels look like, right? But yet we don't find that description in, anywhere outside of the paintings, really. Um, we do know that they appeared as men in, uh, in Genesis, um, to, to fit into the to people, and we know that we can entertain angels unaware, so we, I believe they can take the form of humans, but I've never seen any humans with 
with dove wings either, right? But I say all this uh, to, to, to understand that we have to look at this from a biblical perspective and not taking into account everything we've heard outside of the Bible, but from Scripture, we have this fiery red serpent, this fiery red uh, serpentine dragon. And usually in, in Scripture, especially in Revelation, when it talks about fiery red, that, that it brings up images of violence and death, right? And bloodshed. There's another interesting uh, description here. It says that he had seven heads and ten horns. Now that sounds a little bit more complicated, doesn't it? Unless you've already studied the, the prophecies of Daniel, which we did, right? Remember that? Keeping a finger here. If we just think back in Daniel chapter 7, he was talking about the fourth beast, which represented the kingdom of the Antichrist, right? And we read this. After, after this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, and it had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was a, another horn, a little horn, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So this fourth beast was the prophecy of the kingdom of the Antichrist, and uh, this is what we're studying right now in Revelation. And so what do we learn from, from, from Daniel about the, the, the Antichrist? We learned that he's going to have ten rulers with ten nations at first. That doesn't mean that there weren't other nations involved in this, but there were at least ten nations that banded together, and, and they were working, for, uh, working together. Three of them would be subdued by the Antichrist, which would leave what? Ten nations and seven rulers. So I believe that God allowed that to happen, to kind of link us to, from Daniel 7 to Revelation 12, so we could we can start putting some of these prophecies together and understanding how they fit together. Does that make sense? I know we just went a little deep there, didn't we? But are you following me? Yeah. All right, good. And so, uh, so, we, so to recap here, we, we have these ten nations, seven rulers. We have the nation of Israel. We have the dragon who is the, uh, the enemy of Israel. And what does the dragon do? Verse, tw or verse 4. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So to what is this referring? Satan was once a respected angel in heaven named Lucifer. And he had a, a place of high position and he rebelled against God. And we read about that in Isaiah 14. And we read this. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. See, now we're going outside of even human history, even before human history, and we have this angel of prominence in heaven, and he says, I don't want to follow God. Remember, heaven is where God's will is done, right? 
We talked about that last week. And now we have someone in heaven saying, I want to be the most high. I want this. And God knows that the moment you start bringing selfishness in it, did you realize how many times Lucifer said I in that statement? It was all about himself. It was all about pride. It was all about selfishness. And, the, and, and, and so what we find is that Satan began a rebellion and several of the angels joined him. A third of the angels joined him and they were punished by being cast out of heaven. We read about this multiple other places in Scripture. In 2 Peter 2.4, we read, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Uh, we re also uh, read about it in, uh, 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 in Jude as well. Satan starts this rebellion in heaven where God's will is done. A third of the angels join him. Now they're no longer called angels, but they're called demons or fallen angels. What does this tell us about those angels? It tells us that, that these demons, like Lucifer, are full of selfish pride. They became enemies of God, and they will do anything to thwart the plans of God. I think it's worth pausing for clarity for a moment here. It's just to stop and think about that. That there is, a, the reality is, there is a celestial war going on right now. Think about that. There is a battle right now that goes much beyond the earth. When we think of a war, a war is bad, right? A world war is really bad. This is something that goes even beyond that. And the earth is kind of like a chessboard of this game. It's a, it's a key location where this is where the battle is taking place. Uh, but the, all of the real battle, there's a battle between God and Satan. There's a battle between good and evil. There's a battle between love and pride. And it's, going the, and it's being fought right now, right here on our planet. Do you get a feeling of how big of a deal this is right now? Much bigger than anything that we thought about and, and much bigger than all of these little battles that we, that we get engaged in. There's a bigger, a much bigger battle going on behind the scenes. And in the big picture, what we find is that God is repopulating his heaven with subjects who are grateful to God, who are humble, instead of subjects who are cast out of heaven for their pride. So God's created this method of, of repopulating he heaven through salvation, and yet the one thing that, re that is required of salvation is what? Humility. Everything else, it's just paid for by him. And out of gratefulness and appreciation, we think of what, what God did for us. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. There's no other way we can come to him except for with gratitude and appreciation. Why? Because God knows that what's best for us is for his will to be done. And for no one to say, I want God's position. I want to be like the Most High. He has to rid the, the universe of that in order for there to be peace. Or the, 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 Jewish, the Jewish people speak of it, shalom, and where everything is working as it should be. How many of you want that? How many of you see it on earth today right now? I hear, which means something has to be done. Something's got to be done. So God created a plan. God created a plan. And what was that plan? To send his son Jesus to become the savior of the world. But what we learn in that verse, especially in the second half of that verse, what we find 
is that the dragon has been there all along, and he's standing there, ready to devour the child as soon as it was born. Who's the child? It's Jesus. What's the dragon doing? His plan, Satan's plan, has been, from the beginning, to cut off the Messiah's bloodline before he can save the world. That's been his plan. And you know what? We see this all through human history. Things that look like random events in human history, maybe, from a normal human perspective, we're looking behind the curtains now, and we get a glimpse, and we start to see, no, no, this is, this is part of the bigger battle. This is part of something that's going on that's much bigger. Uh, let me walk you through it. Uh, a couple examples. Um, in Exodus 1, right? In Exodus 1, uh, this, this is uh, where you have a battle of, of sorts. It looks like it's, from a human perspective, it looks like it's Pharaoh versus Moses, right? And what's going on is Pharaoh wanted to keep the, the, the population down of the Jews because he was afraid that the Jews, who were free slave labor, would, would become so popular that they could overrun them. So from a human perspective, that's what was going on. So what do they do? He decides to wipe out all of the male children, to kill all of the male children so that they can't continue to populate. Guess what? What would that do? That would cut off the line of whom? The Messiah. From a human perspective, it was bad. But in reality, it wasn't Pharaoh versus Moses. This was Satan versus Jesus Christ. By the way, guess who lost that battle? Satan did. Satan lost that battle. Why? Because the more they were, they were persecuted, the, the more they populated <laughs> Right? We read about that in, in Exodus 1. Let's fast forward just a little bit. How about the first Samuel? Uh, first Samuel 18 in, in uh, verse 10. In, uh, in this context, we have uh, Saul versus David. We have, it says that it happened the next day that a distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand. And at other times, there was a spear in Saul's hand. And then you know the context. What does Saul do from there? He tries to kill him. All right? From a human perspective, then, what does that look like? Let me switch again. Neither of them are working again, so there we go. There we go. From a human perspective, it was Saul versus David. From the behind-the-scenes look, who was it? It was Satan versus Jesus Christ. All alone. In fact, let's go forward just a little bit more. In, in 2 Chronicles 22, uh, here you have Athaliah versus Joash. Remember, God had promised that the Messiah would come through the line of David, and it comes to this, this point where everything's hanging on a thread because Joash is it, right? And, and so Athaliah attempts to kill him. But guess what? It was really, that's Satan versus Jesus Christ. And you know, all of these are foreshadows of an event that happens later on, and we celebrate uh, this event in, in, at Christmas time. But in Matthew chapter 2, in Matthew chapter 2, what do we find? We find Herod versus Jesus. Remember what's going on? Herod finds out there's going to be another king of the Jews. He likes being the political leader. He's got his mind on just this small world. He's, he's thinking about it from his perspective, and he wants. But guess what? He does. The same thing that Pharaoh did and says, I can, I can wipe them out by wiping out all male children. 
In fact, in, in the book of Exodus, they, it was called the slaughter of the innocents. Because the root word for baby or infant is innocent. In, in, uh, in the New Testament, Matthew 2, you know what they call that event? The slaughter of the innocents. Parallel, parallel passages. And Herod attempted to wipe out Jesus by saying, I'm going I'm to wipe out it was Herod versus Jesus. In reality, though, what, what do we know? It was Satan versus Jesus. It was Satan versus Jesus Christ. In fact, what we find in verse 5 says this. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. So all attempts to thwart God's plan by killing male children, guess what? They failed. And they failed how? I think it's kind of cool. They failed through a male child. Who was? Jesus Christ. All of their attempts failed. But Jesus was still born. He was ready. He was right there. He wanted to do anything he could to kill him. He, he, he worked through Herod to do it. He still failed. What we learn about this child, he was there to rule with an, a rod of iron. In other words, he's going to bring justice by punishing the evildoers. He's going to come in and he's going to clean house. So he was born, but Satan was there and ready to devour him. Look, look who won. Verse, verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now let's compare this to what we read in, in Matthew 2. So if you keep your finger in Revelation, I know we're hopping around quite a bit today, but in Matthew we read this. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So God predicted Satan's plan, right? I mean, he, God actually thwarted Satan's plan, even though it was Satan attempting to thwart God's plan. And then a few verses later, uh, we read this in Matthew 2. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, or appeared uh, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are death. Are, are dead. Notice that it reads, take the young child. In fact, that's the ver uh, that terminology for young child. Uh, usually it is someone that's just above your toddler age, um, which um, would fit right in line with what Revelation said when it says 1,260 days. By the way, if you, if you put 1,260 days on the Jewish calendar into years, you know what that comes out to? Three and a half years. That comes up a lot in prophecy, doesn't it? Some interesting connections that we'll be making in, in the weeks ahead here. So uh, we see that Satan make, makes this plan and it fails. That's as far as we can get the story today uh, in, in the story. And we'll, we'll look at uh, where, where the story goes from there today. But there's some applications for us today. And I want to hit our head, our heart, and our hands today. But when I think of the application for this, I'm going to share three more verses because Paul had three verses in Ephesians 6 that just wrap up perfectly what we, how we should apply what we just read today. And so I'm going to read them real quickly. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, Paul says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. See how what Paul is saying fits with what we're talking about today in Revelation 12? So let's talk about the head. Number one, what do we need to know? Know that you are in a spiritual battle. Know that you are playing a part in a spiritual battle. This, this, is a, this is a heavenly battle going on. Remember what it said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And I'll tell you what, too many times as Christians, we fight all of our battles in the flesh and blood, don't we? We think that the answer is, is going to be somehow to get, get the right human being in the right office or, or find the right solution for things, when, when in reality, that's not what we're fighting against. We're fighting against the things that are behind the scenes. We keep fighting the Herods. We keep fighting the, the, the pharaohs. And we keep fighting them. I'm not saying that, we, uh, that we, we shouldn't do any of that. What I'm saying is, is that's not where our hope should be. Our hope has to be in the fact that in reality, it's Satan versus Jesus. And Jesus has won every time. And Jesus is going to win every time. And that's where we put our hope. And we're fighting a spiritual battle. And we have to recognize that. So don't, don't fight all your battles in the flesh and, 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 and realize that some of these battles between Democrats and Republicans, between pro, pro-life and, and, and pro-choice, between, between Islam and Christianity, don't, it's, it's not really necessarily about all that. It's really about the fact that it's between God and Satan. And we have to make sure we're on the right side of every one of those issues. Does that make sense? Why? Because this is a spiritual battle that's going on. And we have to make sure. And I'll tell you what, my alliance, my loyalty should not be to any other group besides, the, besides my loyalty to God should trump all of those. Amen? should trump any of those things. And, uh, to, and we see, we, we see in, in reality all of that, and, and the world needs to see the opposite. The world needs to see it. So we need to fight the real battles. By the way, how do you fight? against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the dark, darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. By the way, this is, not, this is talking about demonic stuff. How do you fight that? In the flesh? Or on your knees? Okay. You can't fight it in the flesh. You've got to turn spiritual battles spiritual. So in our heart, uh, what, what is, how should that change our heart? I would say this. Be strong in the Lord. That's what the verse says, right? When we look at, at verse 10, it says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. A, a lot of times I think that we, we misunderstand this verse, so if, I'd like to just make sure we understand this verse a little bit. When it says, be strong in the Lord, a lot of times I think we think the verse is saying, don't be weak. Be strong in the Lord. That's not what the verse is saying. The, the verse is saying, be strong, but in the Lord. Don't be strong in you. Don't be strong in the flesh. Don't put all of your your eggs in that basket. Because guess what? Our flesh is wasting away, the Bible says. Right? You can work out and you can do exercises. I like to do all that stuff. But I know that I am able to do less than I was able to do 10 years ago. Right? It's the nature of things. Right? If I put all my confidence in this flesh, I'll be in trouble. Don't be strong in your own flesh. Be strong in the Lord. Where do you want your strength to come from? In your relationship to God. 
And I'll tell you what, there are people that are a lot weaker than me, physically, uh, that I admire and I look up to and say, I want to be like that when I'm their age. I want to be a prayer warrior like that person. I want to, I want to be able to, to, to move mountains like that person because that guy has a prayer life and that guy is a spiritual person and he seems so close to God. That's where we need to be strong. Does that make sense? And so be strong, but be strong in the Lord. Be strong in Him. And then, uh, lastly, our hands. What do we do with this? I would say fight the war spiritually. So if we know the war, there's a spiritual war, and we need to fight the war spiritually. What does verse 11 say there in, in chapter 6? It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Words, you need to be prepared for spiritual battle. And I'll tell you what, as I think, you know, we may have a country that's spiritually or, or that's physically prepared for battle. Maybe, maybe not. But I don't think we have a country that's spiritually prepared for battle. The question is, do we have a church that's spiritually prepared for battle? That needs to be us. We need to be spiritually prepared for battle. What does that mean? He goes on in the context and tells us what it means. Helmet of salvation. You have to be saved. You have to know that you're saved. You, uh, you, you, the whole ensemble is held together by a belt of truth. You have to know the truth. You have to be able to spot a lie when it's there. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. I mean, how many of us are really ready to give the gospel right now? The person came to you today and said, I don't know, I don't know about this whole, this whole Christianity thing. I don't understand it. I don't know where I'm going to go when I die. Are you ready to give them an answer? Feet shod with the preparation for the gospel? Shield of faith? The sword of the spirit? How well do you know this book? Or do you only learn about this book once a week for 40 minutes or whatever it comes to? Or, or are you in this word and you're learning this word, sharpening up your sword because you're ready for spiritual battle? I would say we have to fight that war spiritually and so we have got to become spiritually prepared. We'll talk more about what that means as we continue in the book of Revelation. But my prayer right now is that, that we would at least make that commitment to say, sign me up. I want to be spiritually prepared. In just a moment, I'm going to give an opportunity for, for, uh, for you to respond. And here, there's two potential responses that I want. One would be if you would say, you know what, Pastor Dave, I'm not spiritually prepared because I don't even have the helmet of salvation on it. In other words, I don't know for sure. If I were to die today, I don't know if I would go to heaven. You need to come talk to me. I'm going to ask you to come talk to me. If you're a little nervous coming in front of people, you can go to the back and we'll have some, some, a man or woman there ready to meet you and walk with you through so you can know for sure you have eternal life. The second response that I, would, I think I would, I'd love to see is for if there's anyone that if the Lord's working in your heart saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I just want to tell God today I'm his and I am going to fight spiritual battle. And I'm going to prepare for spiritual warfare I see, the, I see the warfare for what it is and count me in. And I'm going to start putting on the whole armor of God. If that's you today, I just ask you to come forward. You don't have to come talk to me. Come along anywhere as we pray, and we're going to, or as, as we sing just as I am, and you pray. And just say to the Lord, Lord, I'm making that commitment to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you because it's, it's a little scary, to be honest, Lord. 
But it's scary because we have the tendency to put all of our, our faith into ourselves and into our own, our own strength. But Lord, I pray that we would recognize the battles for what they are. And recognize that you have won every time. And you're going to win again. So my prayer right now, Lord, is that we would be encouraged, that we would have a hope, and that we would want to come forward today just to say to you, we, we trust you, God. We, we trust in you, and we're going to fight those spiritual battles. We're not going to fight in the flesh. We'll fight in the spirit. Lord, I pray you work in our hearts right now.